0: Episode four Uh this is we're gonna do Drive, right? 2011's Drive. Uh one of my absolute favourite films, to be honest with you. Uh, there's just so much to talk about with this film. Um I call it Drive slash Vice City, the movie, you know, GTA Vice City. I thought it just has that like neon aesthetic kind of feel to it. Um and obviously it's about like criminal stuff. Um yeah, it's I looked at the back of the DVD, I've, I've got it on DVD, because like I said, in one of the other pods, I'm still one of those weirdos that likes material things as opposed to everything being digital, but don't get me wrong, I still pay for like a Netflix subscription and whatnot. Um, But I looked on the back of the DVD and I was like, oh, it's only like an hour and a half long, I wonder if I'll be able to fill an hour of time on the podcast or, you know, best part of an hour of time. And then I was getting through these notes like you wouldn't believe there is so much to talk about with this movie. It's so subtly masterful in pretty much every department, you know, be it the music department, especially the music department, uh, the lighting, the the way they lay out the scenes in terms of the geography, where the characters stand and things, um, the really nuanced performances. It uh Let's get into it, enough of this pre-ramble nonsense, sorry for the sniffing, I'm recording this first thing on a morning on a Wednesday, because um, I've got a really really busy week, normally I do stuff, like I do the podcast stuff on the weekend, like I might have a, a film Friday and then record the pod on the Saturday, um, but I'm doing this on the Wednesday because I'm busy, anyway that was the pre-pre-pre-ramble, so now we'll get into it properly. Um, so when the movie opens up they give you just enough exposition to not bore you to tears but let you know what you need to know right so there's a slow sort of track pan around the room we see like a, a street map with, you know a few x's and stuff marked on it um and it pans and, and over the top we have ryan goslin doing a bit of a, a well it sounds like a narration at first but he's on the phone and it sort of gives you the lay of the land that he's, you know, doing something a bit, a bit naughty, doing his criminal driving and stuff. And, pardon me, um, when it sort of pans up to him, you don't see, you only see his back and his face is sort of distorted in a, like a, a blurry reflection in the, in the glass of the window. So, we're keeping him hidden still, um but like i say, there's a few bits and bobs to show what he's what he's doing you know there's the the map and stuff um there's so many like good interesting shots in it as well like when he then goes to pick up his um escape car essentially his modified escape car from brian cranston's uh garage his workshop um they walk along the sort of back of the frame behind all these like really nice cars and then the camera stays at the front of the frame and just tracks along to the side you know so we're not we still really haven't been given a good close-up of ryan gosling yet because that camera source of, you know it's at least a car length away at that point on quite a wide shot so the people in the in the frame aren't exactly in focus so it's just again building the intrigue for the audience of like i mean obviously we all know who ryan gosling is he's a stupidly famous star and we know who brian cranston is breaking bad where have you been if you haven't seen that show um but still you know it still gives you that like you're not quite involved in the uh in the criminality just yet and all the while in the early build-up the music has been really subtle you know we um we get that little exposition from ryan at the start and then we get them talking in the workshop um and there's, there's just the music is sort of just like rumbling behind in the background and then we cut from the workshop to um essentially like a an LA skyline you know like at the backdrop of of the you know metropolis of Los Angeles um, and then the music picks up which sort of like ups the adrenaline a bit you're like oh okay the action's gonna start now here we go we, we're getting up to things so it's just that like subtle shift of the soundtrack becoming louder it just sort of gets you like that and there's so many when he's driving around there's so many like cold tones on the outside you know like it's a harsh outside world like the streets are mean you know all that kind of thing but then most of the light that hits ryan's face will be like warm orange hues and, and things like that sort of showing that he's You know not not the light amidst the darkness but i don't know i just sort of got the sense that he's like one of the good guys if you get what i mean you know because he's got that that warmer orange light about him um and all the all the shots while he's driving are more or less either like looking at the road from his perspective or relative close-ups on his face or shots from within the car so it's pretty much not that it's all like from first person perspective but it's all roughly from his perspective there's a couple of outside the car shots but um most of it is pretty tight to ryan's vicinity we'll say um so it it, the fact that the because like basically he drops these two dudes off to to go rob some stuff and the fact that we don't really follow them in and we stay with ryan like i say even though they're not first person shots or they're not close-ups all the time where the shots are all sort of within a gravitational radius of Ryan it's like we're always on his side we're always with him so we know full well that he's the protagonist uh, and we it kind of subconsciously puts you on his side you're already rooting for him you know um and then as they're driving around as well as well doing their little uh, escape um you know evading the police and stuff it's very deliberate but there's um they're playing the radio of a, like, I think it's an American football game or something in the background. I don't, I'm not up on American sports. It might have been baseball. It might have been basketball. I don't care. The point is the radio in the background is sort of, like, mimicking what they're doing. You know, like, the the I couldn't make out clearly any of the dialogue, but it'll sort of be things like, oh, no, they're in a bit of a problem here. And then, oh, my God, who's going to make a touchdown? Like, as they're evading the police and stuff, it's, it's a really nice little subtle... Uh, mimic i suppose um and the 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 way they actually execute the the getaway like the sort of the final maneuver to get away from the police is really cool um oh yeah by the way again spoilers galore if you're seven minutes in and you haven't realized there's going to be spoilers already then switch off the bloody podcast go watch the film and then listen to the podcast again afterwards okay but that's the thing i keep doing as well that i've stolen from bill hicks if anyone knows bill hicks the comedian like he was doing some, I saw a, a clip of his on like YouTube or something. He was doing some crowd work with a um a heckler, and he like completely shut her down. I was like K K. <laughs> so I've just, I don't know. It's made its way into my lexicon. Who knows? Who cares? Um. Yeah, I really like what it the the actual getaway maneuver that they do. So they pull up into this at the car park of the stadium of wherever this um. Football game is playing in LA. It might be the LA Rams or something. Like I say, don't know, don't care. Um, but he drives into the parking lot and then whichever team it is wins, so all the fans pour out in like a mass hysteria. And he literally like pulls in. The two criminals are in the back. He gets out of the car. He takes his really really obvious jacket off. It's that you may have seen it on the posters or anything. It's that kind of like white silver one with a giant yellow scorpion on the back of it. It's the most bait coat he ever could have picked for a criminal excursion um anyway he takes that off turns it inside out and just drapes it over his shoulder so it looks different and then he puts a baseball cap on and he just buggers off and leaves the two criminals to fend for themselves and i really like sort of what that says about his character like he's done his job he did it really well he got away now you're on your own pay me and i'm gonna leave it's cool Um, and then you get that, so you cut to, um, more like LA Skyline stuff for the opening credits, but you get that real big hit of the music. It's kind of, I, I don't really know what genre it is. I put psychedelic trance down on my notes and I was like, no, that's, it's definitely not psychedelic trance. That's some like, you know, real hardcore hippie shit. Um, but it's that, you know, it's kind of like the 80s synth pop, but I don't know. It's just good. It's just such a good soundtrack because mixed with like the sort of neon lights of the the font of the movie you know like the word drive i don't know if you've seen it. it's like a big pink logo listen the vice city the, um, the gta vice city sort of font but where there's so much like light prominently throughout the film that sort of soundtrack style it it hits so well it's such a good combination um and, yeah, as he's driving through, you know, going back home or whatever after doing this job, all the lights and tones with the music, it's its so beautiful, but it really does make you feel like you are with him driving through this metropolis, you know, with all these lights and everything. Um. Oh, yeah, and as he's going home as well, I don't know if this was deliberate. It probably was, no, in this film. But the sort of main actress in the film, Kerry Mulligan, uh, plays Irene, Um, they both live in the same apartment block. So Ryan's in the elevator and all the lights within the elevator are sort of, you know, that warm orange hue and then the door's open and she's on the outside of the elevator and the hallway is sort of bluish and all the lights are quite like cold, like a white cold sort of light and then she sort of steps into the elevator with Ryan um, to, you know, go into that warm orange hue. So I don't know if that was deliberate, like she sort of, because they you know, they end up sort of becoming friends and more than friends and that sort of thing. So I don't know if that was like a deliberate... She goes from sort of coldness into the warmth with him. Because she's like a single mother and that sort of thing. Not saying that, you know, women's got to rely on a man to be happy. But I don't know if that's what the, the film is implying. That, you know, she can find some happiness with him. Because she does in the story. So it makes sense. Anyway, I'm going to sip some coffee now. So enjoy my ADR. Ah, coffee in the morning is not the best thing. Oh, and then we see what a day in the life of his like normal job is like, right? So, criminal by day, uh, stuntman driver by no criminal by night, stuntman driver by day, dayman Oh, uh, for all the always sunny fans out there. Um, so yeah, he's he's he wrecks this uh, police car as part of the stunt and everything. But while he's doing it, he's got this um, prosthetic like mask on. It's a bald head and it's a really like sort of unexceptional expression like there's nothing that stands out on this mask you know it doesn't have like a big nose all the features are really subtle Um, and it's really I don't know if they chose that sort of mask deliberately to sort of mirror Ryan's like stoic silent kind of expressionless persona that he has throughout the film I'm not, that's not to discredit his acting. The The choices he makes in this film to be really stoic and almost expressionless is a really, really good choice and it works for the character so, so well. So I don't know if the, like, uh, props and, you know, costume department and all that deliberately went with a mask that kind of mirrored that, you know? It's a very bland, expressionless mask. So I thought it might be an interesting thing if they did. Um... Oh, and then we get another like sort of story beat. So he goes to um, his local supermarket and his neighbor, the mum, Kerry Mulligan, she's in there with her little kid, uh, I believe it's Benicio. Um, And he's on one aisle and they're on another and he hears some like um, mother-son banter, you know, sort of through the shelves. Not in a weird stalkery way, but to me he sort of has a, a moment to himself where he's like, wow, she's got, so much that I don't have you know like I feel like you know as she's got that love that connection and everything and he's obviously you know he's on his own he may have a criminal job that gives him loads of money he may have a really glamorous like stunt driving job that people go oh wow you're a stunt driver but he doesn't have love you know be it in a relationship format or in like a having a kid sort of format you know so it's a nice sweet story beat And then again, so now we go to uh, he helps her get home. Her car breaks down. He helps her get home. Um, So they're in the kitchen um, talking and stuff. And it's a real, real simple bit of mise en scène, as they call it. Which, for those who don't know what mise en scène is, it's you know the the decoration of the set and stuff like that. Essentially, you know what colors are being used, what props, how does the scene look? Everything you can see, how does it look, and why does it look that way? There's there's a bad description. Google the description. K. I'm trying not to go K K. Um, so they're talking in the kitchen, right? And she stood in front of a, a tiled, like a red tiled wall. Um, and then there's a little mirror next to her in which you, you can again sort of see a distorted Ryan. And then when it cuts around to him, uh, there's a lot of blue behind him, and he's wearing a, a blue jacket. And I think she was wearing like some sort of red cardigan. So they're completely juxtaposed colors wise and although they're like getting on and talking and it's not really flirting it's more just like being really nice to each other. I don't know. Um, But yeah I don't know. The red to me wasn't like the warm sort of hue that we get from the orange. You know, normally when you see red, you think of danger or something, but the vibe from her, as in Kerry Mulligan, and that scene in particular, there's no danger or anything. So if we pretend the red is the warmth and then the blue is the cold, she's inviting him into his home, uh, into her home, sorry, and like into her life, thus sharing a bit of warmth with him. And then where he's seen in the mirror slightly distorted, I don't know if that's maybe a, a look at him sort of being like, does he really belong here? Can he can he go in? Or is that sort of like the door opening for him to, to go in? I don't know. There's just so much in this film that makes you think about... Makes you think about the life, the universe and everything. No, it doesn't. It just makes you think about, you know, what a bloody good film is. Um, and there's this is really nice, like, soft sort of meditation, trance-type music building in the background as they connect. And it happens throughout the film. Anytime they have, like, a really nice, lovely moment together... We get this sort of um, meditation, trancey music, which is really cool. Um, moving on to the scene where Brian Cranston's character is talking to um, Albert Brooks' character, which, on this, this is about the fourth time I've watched this movie, and I only just realized he's the voice of Marlin from Finding Nemo. You know, Nemo's dad. A mollusk walks up to a sea cucumber. That guy. That was a really bad impression, but you know what I mean. So they're, they're talking about. Um, Brian's trying to get him to invest in stock cars as a sort of like a money-making scheme with Ryan Gosling as the driver and where they're sort of talking business it's a bit intimate not intimate in a a romantic way but intimate in like a business way you know they're talking money they're talking you know stakes that kind of thing so all the shots are quite they're either closes or mids Um, and if you've listened to my other podcasts you've heard me explain closes and mids but I'll do it again very quickly so close is normally just headshots um, you know, you really get to see big expression. Mids is normally like waist up to the top of the head. And then wides will be, you know, full bodies or, or even wider than that. And, of course, you can go extreme close-ups, which will normally just be like just your eyes. Um, and, yeah, and so forth. You figure it out as you go. So the, most of the shots are closest on mids as they're talking business, right? And then Ron Perlman's character, bloody love Ron Perlman, Um he plays Nino. So he he's um, Albert Brooks's business partner. Partner, He's his business partner. He's his business partner. And he comes like bursting in, effing and blinding, real really like messes up the intimacy. And then the, the, the shots go to wides as he comes in. So it bursts the intimacy of their conversation. Um and then there's a little there's a couple of lines that are like a subtle nod to the history between them. Uh, Ron asks him with a with a sort of a wry grin, how's the leg? Because the whole film, um, Brian Cranston's got this sort of like leg harness on and he's got really bad limp. Uh, And then, so he asks him, how's the leg? And then Brian Cranston sort of looks a bit sheepish. You know, his eyes go down and stuff, and he says, I've paid my debt. You know, so it's sort of like, hmm, was Ron the guy that messed up his leg? Um, Oh, and there's another really nice line uh, just a bit after that as well, when um, Brian Cranston introduces Albert Brooks' character to... Ryan Gosling, uh, to get them you know, going on this whole um, stock car racing thing. And he goes to shake his hand, and Ryan Gosling says, my hands are dirty, and then Albert Brooks says, so are mine. It's just a great line. Lovely, lovely stuff. Then I put quick cuts juxtaposed the silence into action. I think that was a reference to where you go from that, that restaurant conversation scene between Brian Cranston, Albert Brooks, and Ron Perlman. Immediately there's a quick cut. Um, and you see the front of the stock car that Ryan Gosling driving that they're just testing out to get the the business going, and uh, so it's looking at the sort of bonnet and bumper of the car, and like you know the camera's being pulled backward and the car's coming towards the camera, and straight away there's like loudness um, of you know the engines roaring and like all that racing shit, you know. So it, I, I don't know, I like a quick cut from sort of a quiet conversation to a loud action scene. It's good, keeps you on your toes um yeah and this is a really really simple trope as well um not to discredit the movie again it's a good trope but when ryan and uh, albert brooks are having this conversation you know about the shake my hand or oh, my hands are dirty so are mine um uh albert brooks character is is a lot higher he's like stood up on a ledge uh, so all the shots on him are like looking up and then all the shots on ryan and brian ryan and brian brian they're all like looking down so it just creates where you're always looking down on them and always looking up to him it just creates that hierarchy subconsciously so you know who's in charge so it's a really simple but really good trope coffee time um oh yeah and then um Kerry Mulligan and her son uh, they break down again she's the worst with cars not a slight on women drivers she just particularly her individually is bad with cars or she's doing it deliberately because she wants a bit of that Gosling D but there's more meditation music again when she goes to his garage to get a, uh, a repair um ah okay so all throughout the film Ryan Gosling does something that I don't know if it was pioneered by Marlon Brando, but he's one of the people that I can remember doing it the most in films like... um, Ah, what's the bloody film where they're bikers? Is it The Wild One? Yeah, yeah, that's it, The Wild One. Yeah, from 1953. Great film if you haven't seen it. Um, But someone... He, he does this thing in that film where like um, someone sort of asks him a question to try and intimidate him and he just like stares at him with a smirk on his face and doesn't reply for like a good 10, 15, 20 seconds which doesn't sound like a whole lot of time but when you're having a conversation with someone and they've just asked you a question and all you do is just stare at them almost expressionless or with a tiny little smirk on your face it sort of creates a little bit of tension but it gives... Gives two things. It gives that character all the power, because they're not at the behest of the person asking the question. They're going to answer that question on their own time when they're ready to. It gives them all the power, but also it gives the audience a chance to read in what they think that character might be thinking or or intending. You know what what that character is trying to get across. So um, Ryan basically does that loads throughout the film but there's this one time in particular when they're at the garage um, brian cranston basically sets it up so uh where their car's gonna have the kerry mulligan's car is gonna have to stay at the garage for a little bit longer uh he volunteers ryan to drive them home because they live in the same apartment block anyway right so when he drops that on ryan in front of kerry he just sort of looks at brian for a couple of seconds doesn't do a lot with his face like i say but just looks at him with his eyes And, um, yeah, it gives the audience a chance. For me, what I got from it was him being like, I can't believe you just put me on the spot like that, Brian. Thanks, mate. And then, you know, he turns away to Carrie and is like, yeah, no problem, that's great. And he's, you know, friendly old old Ryan Gosling again. Um, Yeah, so he does this loads throughout the film where he just, you know, looks stoically in someone's eyes without replying straight away. And it just gives the audience a chance to project onto it what what they what they get from it uh, without ryan like overselling his performance or you know projecting what he wants the audience to think he's letting the audience make their own decisions which is a really really cool way to act uh, and then there's a really lovely uh, what i call the la river sequence um so on their way home to sort of i don't know show off or or get on her good side or something or impress the kid um, Ryan takes them on a little drive down the LA river which if if no one's ever seen it basically <laughs> it's the most unattractive river in the world there's just concrete everywhere there's like, there's like a big concrete sort of um, I don't know what you'd call it like a kind of dip or causeway or something and then there's just this tiny little river flowing in the middle of it it's so like man-made the river's not man-made but everything around it is um, but either way they're driving along there um and the sun is sort of setting but it's not like in that it's not like in a twilight sort of um setting it's still like that bright but low light so it creates a real nice um warm orange feel around the whole scene and then there's that track that plays in the background i think it's called real human being i'm not going to sing it for you but it's again that sort of like 80s synth pop kind of style um and it just gives the scene such like a warm, lovely feeling. But there's one shot in particular where they, they go right down to the end of the L.A. River. And there's like a, a more natural sort of creek part of it. You know, there's like stones and trees and grass and stuff. And they've left the concrete part of it behind. And they're like skimming stones and laughing and whatnot. But there's a shot where Ryan's crouched down by the river. And then there's a, a tree branch um, that's... That on the frame of the shot separates him from the mum and the boy they're they're both stood up and and they're in the Sun and Ryan's crouched down in the shade and then you've got that branch separating them so I just thought that was quite a nice sort of shot to to show that there is still a separation between them be it that he hasn't quite sort of um, you know got they don't really have a, a, like a relationship relationship yet or um, Maybe it's just to symbolise the fact that they're relatively innocent and he's, you know, a criminal. Um, so yeah, it was just a nice sort of subtle uh, separation there. Um, oh, and then when they go back to her house, I only just realised it on this on this watch. Um, probably because I was paying closer attention so that I could make a bloody podcast about it. But um, so Ryan sat in front of the window of the apartment. He's wearing a white shirt, and it's really um, like dirty from his mechanic job. Um, but behind him, you—it's all sort of like that—that that cold white sunset. You know, it's is in the twilight zone now. There's not really a sun in the sky. It's it's getting colder. It's getting darker. Um, and then you see more of the cityscape behind him. And then, just to the sort of right of that shot. Oh, and, the, and all the wallpaper and the windows and everything is like a blue or a white, you know, it all looks quite cold. So anything in front of Ryan and the city behind him all looks quite cold. Just to the right, there's a, as the wall sort of has a, a corner to it, as you go around on the on the corner, the wallpaper changes. I think it was like orange or something. Um, and then Kerry stood there, Kerry Mulligan stood there she's wearing a red cardigan and then there's a a bright orange light that hits like the back of her head and her shoulders and her back sort of stuff so it's just illuminating the back of her and so you get that complete juxtaposition between like like her being sort of like warm and inside and innocent and then like ryan sort of being from the streets, you know, like the streets of LA are behind him and it's all cold and it's a completely different world to the world that she's in. So I thought that was a really nice setup um, to show the differences between their characters. Um, oh, and then the, where, there's a really nice line, a couple of cuts later. Um, um, yeah, Ryan and the kid are watching uh, TV. You don't see what they're watching, um, but Ryan asks the kid, like, oh, is he a, a good guy uh, or something like that? And the kid's like, no, no, he's he's bad. He's a shark. He's obviously bad. Um, and then I think Ryan says, no. the note I made was no good sharks, which I only just realized then when I was watching it that that's probably a nod back to Albert Brooks's character because he's the lone shark that's fronting the money for the um, stock car. So it's like an ominous nod. What do they call that when it's a sign of things to come? ah uh, foreshadowing it's foreshadowing That's it. there we go um yeah uh, and then we a little bit later there's um a scene where Kerry and Ryan are driving in the car going on a little date um and the shots are all behind their heads you know so as if you were sat in the back of the car and they're sat in the front and then she drops the news that her husband who's been in prison this whole time is coming back in a week and then we cut round to see their faces and their faces are illuminated red by, you know, the red stoplight, basically, the red traffic light. Um, but it just gives you that kind of like ominous, oh, that was bad news. That's might have, you know, pissed Ryan off or whatever. You know, it's just, it's bad. Um, and then the music, there's a sort of like a dark rumble of music in the background really really quiet and subtle um, but like as that bombshell gets dropped Um, and then uh, so Oscar Isaacs plays um, Kerry Mulligan's husband I've got a feeling this is one of the first roles I sort of like started to recognize Oscar Isaac for as well Um, he's really really good in it but while he's having his coming home party and, and you know, celebrating with his family and Carrie and stuff, it keeps cutting from their apartment doing that to Ryan fixing some sort of, like, engine component at his home. Um, but the, the most interesting thing about this scene is when he decides to stand up and leave, he's sat at a little table. Um, the frame is, like, more or less him in the middle of the frame, but he stands up and starts to put his jacket on. And as soon as he stands up the camera starts to slowly track to the left he stays in frame it doesn't you know move so far away from him that he's not in frame anymore but it starts to move left towards where it's already been established in the layout of his apartment where his door is so straight away you get the notion just from the simple act of the camera tracking along to the left you get the notion that he's about to get up and leave so he puts his jacket on the camera keeps tracking and then eventually yeah he does walk out and then as he's walking out it's sort of he moves in time with the tracking of the camera. So just that instead of having instead of waiting for Ryan to instigate the movement of the camera, the camera doing it already, you I don't know, straight away as an audience member, you're just like, Oh, okay, so we're on the move now. He's about to leave his apartment. He might just be putting his jacket on because he's cold and he can't afford his heating bill. But no, you get that. Anyway, that's enough explanation about that. It's a really nice little trick, okay? Um now I've got in cafe Behind headshot of Ryan, don't see his face until he threatens the guy. Oh yeah, this is another like little Hollywood um, hard man type thing, right? So he's in some random cafe getting a coffee, um, and some bloke come. It is all the shots on Ryan are behind him, you know. So you get that awesome yellow scorpion on his white jacket as sort of like the main thing in frame, uh, and then there's a bloke, a little bit a lot. Is you know like in America, in those American cafes, they have the um, like a, a sort of a coffee bar you know not he's not sat in one of the booths he's sat on the bar and this bloke a little bit further down the bar comes up to him and starts talking to him he recognizes him from a job they did in the past and for the first time when it cuts round to ryan he basically like tells the guy to do one or he's going to fill him in kind of thing um but he doesn't oversell it he doesn't when he when he threatens the dude this is he just looks him in the eye and he just says really really plainly like shut your mouth or i'm gonna kick your teeth down your throat and shut it for you there's no like it's really monotone there's no like um over expression either on his face or in his voice he's not trying to look hard he's not trying to like uh scare the guy he's not trying to intimidate him the fact that he just does it really, really casually, and doesn't break eye contact, and doesn't blink, makes it scarier than if he was trying to be like, I'm going to kick your teeth down your throat, do you know what I mean? It's a really, really good bit of, good bit of acting there, Ryan, you should do this for a living. Oh, and then, um, spoiler alert, Oscar gets beaten up by some thugs, Um, they basically beat him up because uh, he owes them protection money from when he was in prison and as payment they want him to do another job that he doesn't want to do because he wants to be you know innocent and with his family now and he's got his second chance kind of thing uh so but he's been beaten up by these dudes um and his kid benicio has like sort of ran and hid a little bit further away they're in a in a car park you know they're for the apartment block they're in their car park and you see the kid in the background. I think we get one cut of like a mid on the kid to sort of establish that he's hiding. Uh, and then pretty much everything is is on Oscar or on Oscar with the kid in the background or, you know, around Oscar's area, a bit like what I was talking about before with um, Ryan Gosling in the car. It's all more or less around his area, not quite from his perspective, but more or less. Um, and then so Ryan just sort of walks straight past him, leaves him on his own bleeding, and goes to make sure the kid's okay but the camera doesn't follow ryan it so you just see ryan sort of walk out of focus into the background to go and comfort the kid and then they have a small conversation and it's all out of focus and you can't really hear it because the camera is still more or less focusing on oscar isaac so the fact that it doesn't follow ryan away and stays on him on his own and you see another basically from his perspective you see another guy being a father figure to his kid just emphasizes the sort of um the loneliness that oscar isaac's character must be feeling you know the, the isolation so it was a, a good way to to illustrate that um okay and then ryan goes to talk to carrie mulligan at her the cafe that she works in um i can't quite remember the the contents of the conversation but the the note that i've made is they're sat at a booth um and every shot that ryan's in uh he's basically sat in front of the window again and the streets are behind him again you know the the landscape of la the the high-rise buildings that all the streets are behind him again and then whenever it pans around or cuts around to carry it's just the walls of the cafe that she works in with the warm orange lights and everything so again you get that um that sort of juxtaposition between them that he's a man of the streets I'm not calling him a prostitute but like he's a man of the streets Um, you know he he lives that criminal life that street life and then she you know has that more normal I work a nine-to-five and yada 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 so again great mise-en-scene I can never say that without taking the piss great mise-en-scene there we go I did it good for me Um. And then he has to go, st- He basically he decides he's going to help out Oscar Isaacs um, pay off his debt to these thugs so that ultimately Carrie and uh, Benicio can, sorry, Irene and Benicio, I should really stop switching between character and actor names, but so that they can be safe because he cares about them now at this point. Um, so he goes to s- steal a getaway car and I don't know what they're called, but you've seen those metal things that are basically like rulers, you know, they're just sort of an inch or so wide long like a ruler and um they use him to break into cars you know they slip him down the the window and it unlocks the car um so he's walking up to this car I, th- I don't think you see a shot on his face it's sort of like hip level you're like imagine if like knees up to his chest sort of thing that's kind of the shot like a mid on his on his hips so you see him pull out this uh this car stealing implement whatever they're called uh, and then as he puts it into the side of the um, the door to unlock the car, you see a reflection in the bodywork of the car, but it's like distorted. So again, it's sort of like, for, from the audience perspective, where we're not focused on his face during this thing, um, it sort of builds that illusion of secrecy, you know, that he's doing it subtly, whereas if we were just seeing his face really obviously, it doesn't look as subtle it doesn't look like he's being a sly and as slick when he's stealing this car so you know another good shot in this already littered with great shots film <clears throat> oh and then i noticed okay so in between there's a few cuts between like them doing this job and um then ryan reynolds sorry ryan reynolds ryan gosling kerry mulligan um oscar isaacs and Caden Leos, who plays Benicio, the kid, they're all sat around a dinner table having dinner, right? And they all do a cheers and stuff because Oscar Isaac's like, got my family, got my new friend, life's going good again. They all do a cheers, and then I noticed this. This must have been a deliberate choice from the props department or whatever. But Ryan, Kerry, and the kid all have the same glass. It's quite a tall glass with a pattern around it. And then Oscar Isaacs has this short little glass that doesn't have a pattern on it. So it's like he's the odd one out still, even though it's technically his family. You know, it's his kid, it's his wife. He's still the odd one out. So I thought that was a nice, uh, interesting thing. Um, Okay, I'm going to try and go through this uh, pawn shop robbery. So they're parked outside the pawn shop. And then as Oscar walks in, it does another one of those similar to the shot i was talking about when right at right at the start when ryan goes into brian cranston's garage and it like it just tracks from right to left as as with um oscar isaacs as he's walking into the uh pawn shop but then it doesn't follow him in the camera stays outside so as him and christina Hendricks' character blanche go into rob she's been shanghaied into this as well to help with the robbery um as they go in the door just closes on them and then the we don't follow them in so we we never go in the pawn shop so we never see what the robbery's like on the inside uh, and then it cuts to like a slow zoom in on Ryan who sat behind the driver's wheel of the getaway car so it sort of starts to gradually creep over the bonnet getting closer to the windscreen of him and the fact that it does it in like a slow zoom just like builds the suspension tension and sort of you know uh, re what's the word reinstigates the fact or maybe just instigates there's no re involved but just like you know it emphasizes the fact that there's that he's waiting for them and it's quite tense um then we get an internal car shot of uh, from the back like from the back seat looking forward seeing what ryan's seeing and we hear the clock ticking because he always gives everybody a five minute window to get in do the robbery and get out in his car he gives them a five minute window so we get that of the clock ticking uh, which you know ups the tension and then we cut p- f- back to the same shot that was zooming in on ryan's face except now we're fully zoomed in and now we have a close-up on ryan's face so it's like the tension's even more palatable now because we're even closer to ryan's face it sounds dumb when i'm wording it but trust me that sh- uh, that sequence of shots builds the tension um and then, as uh, Christina Hendricks, she gets out of the pawn shop first and gets into the car with Ryan. She gets into the back, um, and then there's a, a two shot on them. So you see uh, Christina Hendricks' face and Ryan's face as they're waiting for Oscar Isaac's to come out. And then the it sort of zooms in a little bit on both of them, and then ditches Christina Hendricks and like you know tracks to the right a little bit just to focus on Ryan. So although we get the nice two shot of them sort of both like anxiously waiting for Oscar first, but then it it sort of like, you know, it moves back over to just the protagonist. So it's like ultimately not being rude, but we don't really care about Christina Hendricks's character from an audience point of view. We're with Ryan. We want to make sure he's good. Um, and then there's a really great action sequence. They do a car chase to get away. Um, it's, where there's so many quick cuts and everything, I'm not going to talk through each individual shot on the action sequence. But ultimately, there's a lot of like low shots, um, and the, I think the reason they do a lot of low shots in um, in action sequences, car chases specifically, sorry, is because where if the camera is like focusing on like the tire, you're normally going to get a little bit of road in the in the shot as well. So then you get the perspective of the car moving quickly against the road, whereas if if the shots are, you know, sort of more looking up and you're just seeing, like, I don't know, maybe the the upper half of the car move against, like, the sky, there's no perspective on there to give you the the idea of how fast they're going. So there's a lot of, like, you know, shots of from the front of the car of the bonnet eating up the road in front of it or like just shots from the driver's perspective looking at all this tarmac just disappear behind them or you know on the side seeing the wheel spinning and the tarmac you know just moving past them so there's a lot of shots like that but one of the most important things about executing an action sequence like that is the sound editing (laughs) the sound editing so you've got you know gear shifts tire screeches uh, the engine revving all these different things, um, and that that can really um, up the ante. It's good, it's a good sequence, good sequence. It's probably the best chase sequence in the movie. To be fair, there's a couple. Uh, okay, so then the, the job's gone sideways, basically, right? So they go to some uh, motel, and then there's a mirror shot. Or so, well kind of a close-up on Christina Hendricks who's a bit shaken she's a bit like oh my god that's gone bad Um, but there's a big old mirror behind her and again Ryan's in the mirror but because he's somewhat out of focus because the focus is on the close-up of Christina he's a little bit distorted again but he's stood up so he's got the the hierarchy you know the what I was talking about earlier he's above her in the shot although it's you know there's no upward tilting angles. It's just the fact that he stood up and she sat sat down creates that um, power dynamic. Um, oh, and it, that there's cuts between like them being in the motel and Kerry uh, Mulligan's character sort of being um, interviewed by police. And initially, on the first cut back to Kerry being interviewed, it's just a close up on the side of her face. And the police aren't seen. All you hear is like what is very obviously a police officer asking questions. You know, like when was the last time you saw your husband? Blah blah blah. But the fact that we stay on Kerry and don't cut away just sort of emphasizes like her um, her emotions in this point. You know, she doesn't really. She's very shocked. She doesn't really know what to say. Um, doesn't know how to handle the situation. You know, she thought life was going to go back to normal and and everything, and now it's like one thing you know again and again bad news bad news um so was a nice way to sort of to keep the camera focused on her um spoiler alert christina hendrix has one of the best deaths in hollywood there's some thug um appears she goes into the bathroom to like cool off or whatever she's looking in the mirror uh, splashing her face with water and and there's a there's a window right to her left right to her left (laughs) <clears throat> there's a mirror to her left and sorry a window to her left Jesus Christ and uh, some like thug appears there with a shotgun and it's not quite point blank range but there's, there's maybe a couple of feet separating them and he just unloads a shotgun round to the side of her swede and it her head basically like explodes in slow motion and it's gory as hell but it's you know as far as satisfying gory deaths go it's a pretty cool pretty cool death which sounds really psychotic for me to say but come on it's Hollywood it's not real and from that point on the film is violent I think it's about an hour in at this point so we got another half an hour of just violence um, and I'm aware that I'm 47 minutes into this pod already so I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as I can but like I said there's a lot to talk about with this one Um, so then Ryan goes on a little bit of a rampage to try and see who's set them up to fail basically the job's been rigged to fail from the get-go the pawn shop job it's been rigged to fail um so he goes into this strip club to try and find um someone who will help him you know resolve the situation one of the people involved basically and he has his weapon of choice is a hammer so it's similar to the the shots i was explaining of the the car stealing implement that he uses so it's all sort of like from his waist as he's carrying the hammer, um, but when he was in the motel with Christina Hendricks, he put his gloves on his driving gloves. He's, he's got these leather gliving, uh, gliving <laughs> driving gloves, um, and as he's clutching the hammer and stuff, he keeps sort of like balling his his uh, hands into fists, and or just like you know as he's holding the hammer, sort of like. Uh, uh, grinding his hand around the, the handle of a hammer, that kind of thing, like just shows that his character's really on edge and he's got a lot of like nervous energy that he's trying to get rid of and stuff, or he's like really angry and balling his hands into fists. So you keep getting these like these squeaks of the leather gloves and stuff. I don't know, it's just like a nice way that the sound department has sort of laid in the fact that he's, you know, really, really tense. And we get one of the best scenes in the movie a little bit later. Um, it's an elevator, they're in the elevator again. And uh, one of the thugs has basically found out where uh, Ryan and Kerry live. Um, And because he knows they're involved, he's come to sort of, you know, see him away. So they go into the lift. There's a. They're stood in a triangle. So Kerry stood at the back in between the two men and then they're stood a little bit forward. So you've got Ryan on the left, the other guy on the right. And the camera to look at the guy on the right. It is sort of from Carrie's, not quite her point of view, but her face is on the right side of the screen, eyes looking down, intimidated, shy and bashful. And then the guy on the right is sort of in the center of the frame and you see him give a side eye over to Ryan. And then the camera does the exact opposite shot. So it goes to the other side of Carrie's head, her face is on the left of the shot, again, eyes looking down, all bashful and shy. And then it's Ryan in the sort of focus of it, and then he gives a side eye to the other guy so it it sort of builds the tension that we both know they both know exactly what's going on they both know exactly who each other is and there's like a, the even pans down the the thug's body and you can sort of loosely see a gun in the inside of his jacket and stuff so ryan knows exactly what's going on um then it cuts to sort of like a wide of all three of them as ryan slowly pushes uh Kerry to the corner like to for safety and as he pushes her to the corner the the lamp in the elevator like the light in the elevator changes it sort of brightens a little bit as he pushes her into the light so she gets illuminated by this light to sort of show her innocence and everything but as she gets illuminated because Ryan's back is to the light he gets darkened so you get that juxtaposition of her being light and pure and innocent and then him being darkened and you know is a criminal he's sinister he's you know he's, he's already killed a couple of people um they have a really romantic kiss and then as soon as the kiss is done the violence happens um so they have a quick fight and then he ends up throwing the dude to the floor and he basically like hammers not hammers with a hammer but like with the heel of his boot crushes this dude's head into the floor and the shots of him doing that most of them are like up from what would be the victim's perspective looking up at ryan is like his foot is just going (laughs) and for one of the first times you actually see some sort of semblance of an angry expression on his face it's like one of the first times that he's not sort of stoic and and pretty emotionless um so it's quite scary uh and then there's a as the, the elevator door, oh, uh, yeah, sorry, and that's cut between, like, shots of Kerry Mulligan's character looking absolutely terrified, and rightly so. You've just seen someone who you were kind of developing feelings for cave someone's head in with his shoe, so, you know. Uh, and then the elevator door's open. She becks out out of them. Ryan turns around, and he sort of has an expression on his face of, like, he's a bit surprised in himself that he did this, and maybe he regrets it a little bit. But ultimately, it kind of had to be done. But he maybe could have done it in a less brutal way. But um, so she stood outside the elevator, looking in, still terrified. And then the the elevator doors closed between them, so it like symbolically sort of separates them, as well as physically separating them. But it's kind of like Ryan's crossed the line at that point. Um, oh, and then yeah, we go to Albert Brooks and Brian Cranston. Um, Albert's come to see Brian Cranston away basically um, and lots of the shots in that scene um, Albert will be in the darkness and then Brian will be in the light again a real simple way to show who's the villain and who's the good guy in that scenario Um won't dwell on it too much um, and then yeah so to try and protect Carrie and the kid Ryan ends up you know getting rid of these guys one by one and he ends up ramming Ron Perlman's car off of the side of the road. Um, and there's it sort of goes down a, a, a small hill kind of thing. Maybe it's like a 15, 20-foot hill. But it's wrecked at the bottom. And there's a really, really great shot um, where you've got Ryan's car sort of just on the edge of the hill with its headlights blaring out over the, over the verge. And then there's a street lamp just above that and then Ryan stood to the right of the car. So it's like street lamp left, car middle, Ryan on the right. And and it's a really, really cool shot. It's just like a cinematic, like art artwork, bit of filming. I really liked it. Um Okay, and then yeah, a little bit later, um, he goes for a meeting with Albert Brooks, Ryan this is, goes for a meeting with Albert Brooks to try and sort it all out. Um, he goes to, they both go to Ryan's car to get the money, which has been the whole sort of like thing that the villains have wanted throughout the entire movie or like since the pawn shop robbery. Um, and there's they meet in a restaurant initially, right? And then we, it keeps cutting between the conversation they're having in the restaurant where there's a load of like, um, what do they call it? oh sorry if you can hear the uh, washing machine in the background by the way my housemates put some laundry on but I hope you can't hear it (laughs) um subtext that's it there's loads of subtext and like things they're saying without actually saying them in this conversation and it keeps cutting between them going to get the money from Ryan's car but they basically end up like stabbing each other and like double crossing each other so we we get the them them pretending to be polite and nice and stuff in the conversation and then showing how they actually are when it's cut between them stabbing each other so there's a that's a really nice edit because if the editor had just left those scenes be completely separate it wouldn't be as powerful but the fact that they're intercut really emphasizes the subtext and things in in the conversation that they're having um that's that's more or less it that's that's pretty much everything um that i wanted to talk about again there was so much in that film that I could have spoken about, you know, all these different lighting setups and the geography of the scenes and stuff. I tried to highlight the the main ones that stand out to me the most on there. Uh, but what a film! It's so so good. It starts off as a little bit of a slow burner. So if you're not into slow burners, um a get a life because most of them are great. But just give it a chance. um I love it. It's one of my favorite films. Um, I hope I did it justice with my deep dive analysis into what makes that film great. But there is so much so much goodness to it. You know, Every actor in that film is amazing. Um, they're all of that kind of school of not overselling things, at least in this film anyway. It's probably a directorial decision by uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, who I always want to call Nicholas Winding Road because, you know, it's in his name. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Um, would recommend. Anyway... At 56 minutes, going to call it a day. So I hope you enjoyed episode four. I think this is episode four. Yeah. Um, yes. And uh, Have a good one. Peace out, home dogs.